You ever notice sometimes there are moments of irony in life that clearly God set up? Because the last two weeks we've been talking about working through weaknesses. And my brother Preston over here and, you know, filled in. I'm grateful. I know y'all were blessed. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we don't have control over certain things in life. And so uh, when a case of shingles just decides it wants to land on you, you just get to deal with it. And uh, so this week we get to preach through about strength in power and weakness. I, I don't see a coincidence here. <laughs> and so uh, y'all just bear with me this week. If I lose my train of thought, uh, it happens. <laughs> so... But the idea here, what Paul is doing, is remember, he's got to defend his apostleship. He's had people come in, and they've you know, created division in Corinth, and they've said they're the super apostles. They're even more qualified than Paul is. And so Paul has to kind of come down to their level and say, look, you want to really compare resumes, let's compare resumes. And he went through all of his service and his suffering that he had dealt with, and now he says he's got to go on boasting, but he's going to go on to spiritual matters. And this is where it gets really interesting as he starts to talk about his weaknesses because we, we tend to think of weaknesses as limiting factors, right? A weakness is what you can't do. You have your strengths, what you're good at, and you have your weaknesses, those things you're not good at. Maybe you're even exceptionally bad at it. And we look at that, and, and what is it that we say over and over? We we gotta we gotta turn those strength those weaknesses into what? Into strengths. Has anybody in here ever been successful at that? We we you can't do that. <laughs> There's a reason it's a weakness. Now you can maybe neutralize it in your life in a way that it doesn't work against you. But your strengths are your strengths, your weaknesses are your weaknesses, and you're not ever really going to flip them. And yet, Paul says he will boast more gladly about his weaknesses than his strengths. And he goes out of his way not to boast about his strengths, about the very things that qualify him and give him the ability to be an apostle that set him apart from other people, from other leaders, He's careful to not even bring that up until he's forced into it. Now, why would he do that? Wouldn't you want to put your best resume out there and let everybody know, here's all the reasons that I am qualified. Here's all the things I'm really, really good at so that you'll believe me. Well, this is where in our spiritual life, we have to learn to look at weaknesses differently. Because so long as we're caught in a performance mentality, and some of you know what I'm talking about with this. If we are caught in a performance mentality, then that means we always have to be at our best. We always have to be on. We always have to, to win. We have to, to be better than others. I mean, it's this constant pressing. And that is not what the peace of God wants for our lives. If one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace... How can we have peace if we always feel the need to perform at a high level at everything? You can't do it. That leads to stress. That leads to, 
to performance anxiety, I mean, all kinds of problems in life. And especially when we are supposed to be a people of grace, performance kind of gets in the way of grace. Because we start thinking, well, I'm doing my best, something should happen. I'm really trying. I'm doing this. I should get something back in return for it. We start to get this, this kind of weird thinking that, that clouds the issues in our spiritual life. And so Paul jumps in to a, a really deep subject here as he talks about power and weakness. So look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. Now, is Paul just confused here? Hey, when a guy says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong, it sounds like he's confused. So thank you. No, it, it really, this is one of those moments where the truth of God and the, the reality that we live within come into such sharp contrast, we, we start to realize the ways of God are not our ways. That God looks at life, he, he looks at us, everything completely differently than we do. And that can be hard for us to, to work through sometimes because our senses, our, what we see, what we feel, what we think, they, they run so counter to the ways of God sometimes that when God has a, a startling statement like that, and he lays the truth out. We just kind of look at it and we're like, that doesn't make sense. But where it begins is with our own personal relationship with God. All of this, to understand this idea of, of power and weakness, it has to begin with our own identity in Christ. Because Paul shows us something here is that not everything is for sharing in our Christian life. Now, some of you probably never heard that before. You know, we talk so much about sharing the love of Christ, share the love of Jesus, be in fellowship, be in church. It's about a community. It's about the body of Christ that here, you know, all of a sudden I come along and I tell you, hey, not everything is to be shared. It almost sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. Because the idea here 
is that Paul tells us he had a vision of heaven. And where this happened in his life, it's possible it was at his salvation, but I think a, a more likely occurrence in his life is he got stoned to death. He was literally dead outside the city of Lystra, and they stone him, and then they drag him out of the city dead, and the believers in that city gather around him and pray for him, and God raises him back to life. So that's a bad day for Paul. And I think during that time, he saw a vision of heaven, and that's where he says, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body, and you know, you were probably dead, Paul, so take for that what it is. And he went into heaven, and he says he saw things, he heard things that are not lawful for man to utter. So God gave him a vision. Listen to this again. He says, I know a man in Christ, he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, the idea of the third heaven, just to fill you in, is the first heaven is the air that's around us in the, in the ancient Hebrew mindset right there was just the air around us. The second heaven is the stars. The third heaven is where God lives. Okay, so that's just their understanding of things. So when he says third heaven, he's saying he went to where God is. Uh, Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Now, he's talking about himself, but he's like separating himself from it. Because he wants them to know the truth, but he doesn't want them to look at him in a different way, in, in a sense. And we'll get to that in a second. But the point is that God gave him something that was just for him. Can you imagine getting a view of heaven, the eternal court, and who knows, probably things to come? Uh, he probably had an idea of the end of the world and everything that was going on. I mean, he, he saw something that God's like, hey, you don't get to tell anybody. How would you like that? If God showed you something, I mean, amazing. And he's like, and this is just for you. Now, why would God do that? I mean, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. We, you know, 13 books of our New Testament were written by him. So he clearly has a knowledge that God wanted to share with the world. And yet in this, Paul said, you don't tell anybody this. And Paul brings it up here. Is he bringing it up to brag? Like, hey, I know things you don't. No, he's, he's not doing that. In fact, that's why he says, I don't even want to do this. But you see, the reason is that Paul is letting them know this isn't about qualifications. This isn't about who can put up the better resume. He says, you want me to boast? Look, I can boast all day about things that God has done in my life. And these false teachers were acting, you know, super spiritual. Like they, they really, and he's like, oh, I can tell you some things about God. If you really want to know that, I've got some secret knowledge that no one else does. And, and he's leveling the playing field. But understand what Paul is telling him is that he didn't receive the gospel from anybody. He received all of his knowledge of God directly from God. That's what made him an apostle. You know, Paul didn't attend a church service. He didn't have somebody come and preach the gospel to him. And he's like, oh, okay, now I get it. God literally directly gave him revelation. And that's what qualifies Paul 
But even within that, it was all there to qualify him to do what God wanted him to do. And so part of that was giving Paul a vision of what was to come, letting him see the, the truth of eternity at a level that would carry him through the tremendous suffering and difficulty that he was going to experience as an apostle. So think of it as God gave him some eternal fuel to carry him through his life. And it was just for him. You see, he had the end in sight. And not only did he have the promises, not only did we, you know, what we've read about where he says, hey, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has stored for those who love him. That kind of adds to Paul's ability to say that, doesn't it? When he had that vision of heaven and he's like, oh, I, yeah, I can't tell you what's coming, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's beyond your wildest imagination. You can't even begin to fathom what God has stored. And no, I don't get to tell you what it is. But you know, oh, but I know. So, and then he would always kind of bring it back. He's like, but you have the mind of Christ. You have this. You have, you know, follow the, the spirit of God. Don't quench. You see, it would motivate Paul because he knows what he's leading people towards. And it encouraged him to share the truth of God that God had given him even more. And so God, in his grace, provided Paul everything necessary for him to fulfill his ministry as an apostle. Now think of that. He gave him everything necessary to fulfill it. He didn't say, I'm going to make the road smooth and easy. I'll just give you what's necessary to get you through it. I'm not going to make it so that life has no bumps or difficulties. In fact, the bumps and difficulties are going to be so big in your life that it's going to take this vision of heaven to get you through it. Nowhere in Scripture are we promised a smooth life. Okay? And in fact, it, what did we say you know, a couple weeks ago? Remember I talked about you know, God has a wonderful plan, and then we look at the plan for Paul's life. What was it? Insults, hardships, shipwreck, beaten. Here's, here's the wonderful plan for you, Paul. But you see, that was the short term, and God gave him a vision of what was to come that would carry him through. And I say all this to say, at the end of the day, there is a personal aspect to our faith that we all have to latch on to. We have to hold firm to it. It has to become a part of us, and nobody else can do it for you. We have to find our identity in Christ. Now, adding to that, of course, is the body of Christ. Nothing I'm saying negates the communal nature of our faith. We are called to love each other. We are called to live in community together. We are the body of Christ, and we are to serve. All of that is true, but at the core of it is your relationship with God. And none of these other things are a substitute for your faith in God. Being a part of the right church, a healthy church, can help you in your faith a ton. It can carry you. And yet, it cannot replace your relationship with God. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He says, I have these things that God has given me that it's not lawful for me to utter, but it's what carries him through and enables him to do what he's doing. And so, 
one of the things that we've got to look at is that God has personalized, and and this is such a, a treasure of our faith, it really is. God has a personalized, stylized part of the faith that is meant just for you. And everybody needs to take hope and comfort in that. God has personalized your faith for you. Now, don't get this twisted. Your still faith is in Jesus Christ. Your faith, it doesn't change the gospel. We don't get to change it into what we would like. But I'm saying God has a personal application of his grace that is meant just for you. That God personalized for you. And this goes all the way down to issues of identity. Who we are. And we see this loss of identity throughout our culture right now in this world, and it's horrible. It's all the gender confusion. It is all kinds of the stuff that we are seeing right now is people have no sense of identity. And even in the church, people are losing their sense of identity in Christ, who they are, when becoming a new creation is at the core of what the Christian life is all about. If we don't know who we are in Christ, I'm not sure we know Christ. Because that is at the very core and the base of what this faith is all about. When we are born again, we are born into a new life, a new identity in Christ, which is solid and nobody can take it from us. Listen to how the Apostle John puts it in Revelation. Revelation 2.17, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. How many of you had a nickname from a grandparent that was very special to you? Grandparent, parent, somebody that, I mean, that's just, they, you were known by that. You know, I can still hear my grandfather's nickname for me. He called me Wheel. I don't know why. I could always walk in the room. I still hear, hello, wheel. It was a special thing between the two of us. And that pales in comparison to what God has done for us. He has a new name, a new identity for you that he doesn't want you to share with the world. It's just between you and him. And it is that special that he says nobody knows it except you and him. You see, not everything in this age of digital narcissism, and I mean that, not everything is meant to be shared. And there's something very stabilizing about knowing who you are in Christ deep down, and you're so secure with it, you don't have to announce that to the world. You can treasure it. See, Paul didn't feel the urge. He's had this vision of heaven, and it drove him, but he didn't have to brag about it all the time because he's like, oh, I know who I am in Christ. And he wasn't even threatened by the false teachers because he's like, oh, no, they're not me. I know who I am in Christ. And I know I've loved these people, and I know I've served them, and God's going to get us through this. And so in our world, there's something very stabilizing and very comforting about the fact that God in you have a personal relationship that's just between the two. God knows your name. He knows your new name. 
How many in here have ever asked God, what is that new name? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Hey, what's, you know, I mean, we have the conversion of Saul, and yet later on, he's always known as Paul. I think there's something to that. That old identity is completely gone. That's what God does for us. And when that happens, when we are able to internalize that new identity, we start to do things that just don't make sense to the world. And this is where it's great. We choose grace over greatness. You see, in a performance mentality, it's all about becoming great. It's about accomplishment. It's about being driven. It's about all of these things that we can accomplish and attach our name to and be recognized and all of that. But when we know who we are in Christ and we serve the kingdom of God, then suddenly it's not about our strengths. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's about what God has already given. And it becomes less about us and more about other people in that process then. We're secure in our identity, and because of that, we can now help others find their new identity in Christ. And we can do things in grace that don't make sense to an accomplishment mindset. You see, it's not about portraying a flawless image. One of the criticisms I've heard throughout my life of the church, and some of it is just noise and criticism, some of it's true, is that too many people pretend to be something they're not. Too many Christians act like they have no problems or like they, they don't ever struggle with sin. And, you know, some of that's just shots just to criticize and, and, you know, don't take it too much to heart. But others, I think there are times that as Christians, if we were a little more open about our real struggles in life, we'd probably minister to a lot more people. And not that we are glorifying sin. I mean, it can cross into that line where it's like, hey, let's all just, you know, accept it and just live in it and, you know, have no judgment over it or anything. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a real example of, look, this is just where we live. And, yeah, I strive for up here, but I, you know, I'm I'm down here. And I want to be up here, but I'm not. In fact, it kind of sounds similar to what Paul said in chapter Romans chapter 7, right? What does he say? He says, hey, those things that I want to do, I fully approve in my mind, but then when it comes time to do it, I don't do it. And those things I don't want to do, that's the very thing I do. He says, oh, wretched man am I, who will save me from this body of death? You see, Paul's open about his struggles. He doesn't excuse sin and he doesn't say it's okay, but he's also open about the fact that Hey, I can choose grace over greatness. I don't need to project an image that is untrue. And so, what does he say here? Listen again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, on behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. And then this, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me Then he sees in me or hears from me. That's an incredible statement. Paul says, I don't want anybody thinking more highly of me than what is actually true. I want them to see my life. I want them to see how I live. 
and I want them to hear my message, and I want them to see how grace and God's strength and my weaknesses all work together to produce what you see standing right in front of you. That's what I want people to understand. Because it's easy, especially in our day. I mean, think about it. If Paul is saying this in the first century, how easy is it for us today with social media to project an image of a life that is untrue? You know, I've had friends in the past that I just, I could tell when they were struggling in life by how positive their Facebook became. Suddenly, every day was awesome. Everything was good. I'm super blessed. And I, it just, the way it always went, I'm like, and they're going through something. I need to call and check on them. <laughs> because their Facebook suddenly is like their perfect life. Because they're trying to put that out there like, I, I'm not weak. I'm not weak. Life is good. Life is good. You see, Paul said, I, I don't want anybody to come to the wrong conclusion about me. I want it to be there. Now, again, he's not celebrating his faults. He's not, you know, advertising sin to the world is okay. But he's also not putting an image out that he's without struggle. And he says, I just want people to have sober judgment about who he is. He has sober judgment about himself. He knows who he is. What does he say about himself? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. He says, I am the least of all the apostles. Basically, I don't even deserve to be an apostle. But by God's grace, I am what I am. He accepted his identity, but he was, he was truthful about it at the same time. And, and so he said, even if he wanted to boast, he would be truthful in doing it, but he refrains because he doesn't want to feed into somebody wrongly filling in the blanks about his life. Now, have you ever done that? Filled in the blanks with what you just assumed? It's easy to do. I mean, it really is. And, and even in our world today, things happen intentionally a lot of times to get people to fill in the blanks. Satan wants us to fill in the blanks with something other than God's word. But when we choose grace over greatness, when it's no longer about accomplishment and recognition and, and putting forth this image of that, that it's untrue, and we can choose just the common grace of God, all of that changes. You see, this is where Paul, as an apostle who speaks for God, he has this incredible knowledge of God, but who else was he? He was someone who was not skilled in speaking. He was weak in body and unimpressive in presence. He's already talked about that. The Corinthians were like, I just don't see how this guy is, is it. He's so unimpressive in person. He doesn't speak very well. He's weak. Well, they were interested in the performance mindset. And Paul was interested in truth. And so it isn't our strength. Okay, you may need to write this down. It is not our strength that adds anything to the kingdom of God. It's God's grace. God builds his church. God builds his people. And it's not our strength. It's not our abilities that God's like, oh, I need this person because they can do this. God doesn't need any of us. 
Now, don't let that dishearten you. Because when I say God doesn't need any of us, I'm not saying he's just not lacking. He wants our hearts. He wants us in his kingdom. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so God's heart is that he wants us with him. And that is important because if our strength was necessary to add anything to the kingdom, then grace is unnecessary. God's grace is what? It is God's favor on us that is unearned, undeserved, cannot be changed. We can't make God's grace into something else. God gives us favor. It's because it's who he is. It's a gift that he has given. And when we can choose that grace in our life over our own greatness, it takes us off the hook for performance. And it enables us. This is where it's important. It enables us then to confront our weaknesses without fear. Think of this. If by God's grace you are fully accepted, amen, fully accepted, fully forgiven, amen, fully forgiven, fully accepted, made holy in the image of God through the righteousness of Christ imputed to you, given to you through the cross, then that means you are off the hook as far as God is concerned for your failures and weaknesses. And that's what I mean when I say the power of sin is broken in your life. It is now the process of sanctification is to break the practice of sin. And when the power of sin is broken, now we are free to change the practice without fear because it's not based on how successful we are. God's acceptance, his love, his forgiveness is not based in how successful we are. It's based in how successful Jesus was at the cross. And how successful was Jesus? 100%. He died on the cross for our sins. He gave his life He he paid the price. He resurrected and overcame death. The price is paid. And so we are now free to confront weaknesses without fear, without thinking that, God, if if I acknowledge this this weakness in my life, what's going to happen? God's grace is going to cover it. That's what's going to happen. God isn't asking you to be perfect. Again, he's asking you to be faithful. And that means faithful to his trust, his grace to carry you through your weaknesses. And that even if that weakness never turns into a strength, that his grace is sufficient. Because grace is sufficient. You see, this this conversation takes a really interesting turn because weakness is where the power of Christ shines and God will force the issue if we won't let him. If we refuse to admit weakness in our lives and we refuse to acknowledge it and allow God to work through it, then God will force the issue and say, oh, I'll show you how weak you are and you're still going to serve me. You're still going to work through this. And God actually had to force the issue with Paul. You see, Paul wasn't perfect. But he admits it. And so listen to this. This is such an important passage, okay? In 2 Corinthians, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited. How many of us could just say that line right there, in all honesty? I mean, just think about that. Paul starts his discussion. So to keep me from becoming conceited. 
There is a self-awareness in that statement that Paul is like, I know who I am, I know my weaknesses, I know my struggles, and I know why God did this. And yet he freely talks about it. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Notice he says that twice. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He just said a messenger of Satan in his life. Is Paul exaggerating? No. Whatever this was, this thorn in his flesh that affected, if it's a messenger of Satan, there's a spiritual aspect to it. And he says it's a thorn in his flesh. So his body is affected by it. That means his whole person is affected. Whatever this is, is something attached to him that is causing him severe problems in himself there's no message there's no way around that he says a messenger of satan to harass him so there was something nagging in his life in his spirit that he says he prayed three times god get this out of my life why because he still had a bit of a performance mindset there how can i serve you if I'm weak like this. God, this has to go away. And he prays three times. I just don't guess there's a lot that Paul had to pray about three times. And when God told him no the first time, I I mean, we know that process. He's like, no. But God, it doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. This needs to go away. So he prays again, and God says no. And then he, okay, maybe I can just... I can white-knuckle it. I'm strong enough. I can get through it. And then it breaks him down. He's like, God, I'm not strong enough. What do I do? You've got to take this away. I can't make it. And finally, God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. What is he telling him? He's saying, I know your struggle. I know the pain. I know it doesn't make sense. But at the end of the day, I'm going to carry you through this. And it will be my strength, not yours, that makes all of this happen. You will stay humble. And I will be glorified. And it was a process that Paul did not want to happen. Again, he prayed three times, God, no, make this stop. And I find that interesting because when you read through all of Paul's letters, you know what you really never find is a prayer for a change of circumstances. You don't see Paul praying a lot of God. If you guys could pray that my life would be a little easier, I'd appreciate it. You just don't see that. So whatever this was, this was for real. So whatever struggle you're facing in life, personal, identity, whatever struggle you're facing, understand the Apostle Paul understands that struggle because this was deep. And God's response is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
So here's where we pull this together, okay? His power is made perfect in weakness because his power is not based on our strength. And so the weaker we become, the more humble we become before God, the more we open the door for his power to work in our lives. So long as we think it's up to us, we won't trust God. So the level to which we are willing to acknowledge our weaknesses with God and trust him in it is the level to which his power is going to be present in our lives. Whatever we think we can handle on our strength, we'll get as far as our strength can take us. That's it. But whatever we're willing to acknowledge in weakness before God and trust him, we'll go as far as God's power is going to take us. Because grace is not dependent on our ability. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. Two, remember, this is about God's glory and not ours. In a performance mindset, we need recognition. In a grace mindset, it's about God's glory. It's about his kingdom. And we are just servants within it. Three, remember this along the way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have either directly or indirectly been taught in your life weakness equals failure? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Weakness equals failure. So everything in you is like, don't show weakness, don't have weakness, get rid of weakness. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Just get through it. Don't let it, you know, just no weaknesses. That mindset has to go away in your Christian walk. It it just has to. Nobody is self-sufficient in the kingdom of God. We are all dependent on God's grace. But when we accept that, we find freedom. Does Paul seem stressed out here talking about how he would, would have become a conceited jerk had he not been given this? I mean, he says twice, I would have become conceited. I knew all this amazing stuff about God and I would have thought I was better than other people. But God took it out of me because I suffer with this thorn in my flesh so much that I know I'm not better than anybody else and it has served its purpose. And so there is something that we have to remember in this, okay? Anything that comes into your life had to get past God first. Anything. Now, I know that can be hard. That, is, that takes a maturity of faith to, to really get, because you're like, you mean God wanted this to happen to me? No, I mean God allowed it to happen to you, and he's going to bring something good out of it. He will, in time, turn it around into something that serves your good and the good of his kingdom. Every single time. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Now, sometimes we can get isolated on something. We're like, why did this bad thing happen? It shouldn't have happened. And you know what? You're right. And it may even be somebody else's sin in your life that affected you. But that's not the end of the story. And God wants that story to keep going. And he's going to take that thing and turn it into something good in time. Even if it's in eternity, 
when you, that's when you finally see what God, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has stored. I think a big part of that is God taking all the bad things that happened and turning them around into something good. And we're going to go, whoa, I had no idea, God, that you were working at that level. And it's going to blow our minds. But everything in your life is there because it had to get past God first. Which means it's not an accident. Which means it's not just, you know, the universe picking on you. It's God showing himself sovereign. And showing you his grace is sufficient. There's nothing that can happen in this life that God's grace cannot cover and bring you through. Nothing. And that's why Paul is able to say, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. Contentment. That means he, he doesn't need life to be a certain way. Okay? He's not saying he enjoys it. He's not saying he likes it. He's not saying that he's like, yes, God, bring more suffering in. This is what I want. He's not depraved and he's not sick. But he says he's content knowing that God's power is active even in the struggles. He doesn't need life to be without struggle. So he says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, what was brought into Paul's life was a stabilizing weakness. And yes, for a performance mindset, that's a contradiction in terms. For a performance mindset, all weakness is destabilizing and must be removed. In the grace mindset, a weakness can stabilize us so that we are dependent upon God at all times. And that's exactly what Paul said. When God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul gets it. And he's able to self-reflect at that point. When he's like, okay, God wants this in my life. He wants this to happen. I can just imagine the emotional roller coaster Paul went on as he's coming to grips with that. And then he's, it hits him like, you know, if this hadn't happened, I'd have become conceited. I'm a prideful person. <laughs> and the reality of his own weakness settled into his heart. And he's like, but God has worked through that. God has, God has stabilized me through my weaknesses. And so instead of praying all the time, God, make me stronger, make me stronger, make me stronger, make me overcome all of this. I need to be an overcomer. He realized, no, I just need to be humble. And God's grace will see me through. That's what it means to have power in weakness. It is the Christian life. It is the way of grace. Don't let Satan condemn you for your weaknesses. Let God's grace use you in your weakness. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. And God, we thank you. As crazy as it can sound, we thank you for weaknesses. We thank you for every opportunity to put your power on display. To decrease in ourselves so that you can increase. God, we don't pray that you strengthen us. We pray that you mold us. Lead us to faithfulness. God, where we need to rely on grace, that we would be content to do so and we would celebrate your grace for what it is. 
God, I pray that we would be able to to treasure that identity that we have with you that is just between you and, and us individually. God, where that's lacking, I pray that it grows, God, that we would know our name. That we would know the name that you have given us that, that nobody else needs to know. We don't need to advertise it. It's just between me and you. Help us to know that name, to live it, to be the person that you recreated us to be. Weaknesses and all, God, I pray that you give us your comfort, your peace, that we walk in your power. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.